So, hey guys, good morning. Welcome to River Ridge Church. My name is Dylan, and I am the director of student ministries here. Uh, basically, what I say that means is that I get to sit around and eat cheeseburgers and play video games uh, with a bunch of high school and middle school kids, and it is literally the best job in the entire world. I could not ask for a better job, but this morning, I wanted to start, uh, start us off because we're entering into our season of Christmas uh, with our Christmas What's In It For Me series. I wanted to start us off uh, in a special way, and so I was kind of thinking what would be the best way of starting off this morning? And I thought maybe together we could sing a Christmas carol because today is December 1st. I mean, after all, it is the first day of December. So I was thinking through the songs that I would maybe want to sing with you guys. Um, And by we sing, I mean you guys sing and me turn the mic off so you don't have to hear me. And the song that came to mind was the 12 Days of Christmas, because depending on who you ask and depending on what tradition you're in, uh, this might be one of the first days of Christmas, or maybe it's not. Um, But I actually want to let you guys in on a little secret. Uh, For me, today is not the first day of Christmas. It's actually somewhere around the 31st day of Christmas. Um, I'm one of those crazy people that start celebrating Christmas on November the 1st. Is anybody else in here like that? You start celebrating on November 1st. Just a couple of us. Okay, so we're the crazy ones. That's good. Um, So I think you guys probably think that's really crazy. Why would Dylan start celebrating Christmas on November the 1st? And the reality is, the reason that I do that is because there's so much stuff to do. And I really kind of feel like we can't fit it all into December. I mean, you guys can tell from the fact that our service flow this morning is a little different. There's a lot of things for us to do. And personally, I kind of put down my to-do list here uh, to kind of share with you guys what I have going on. And it's things like I got to finish decorating. Um, Also, I have to go to the chiropractor because last night I carried my tree in and I think I pulled something in my lower back. Um, So I have to finish decorating. I have to buy a bunch of gifts. Of course, not for my mom because she always gets mad at me when I buy her things. Um, Then I have to wrap the gifts. And by wrap the gifts, I mean give them to my wife and say, please wrap these, um, because you guys know that me trying to wrap that would not work out well at all. I have to figure out family plans. I have to drink uh, a lot of hot cocoa and make a lot of cookies. I have to watch about 4 billion Hallmark movies, all of which have the exact same plot. And I have a ton of Christmas music to listen to, uh, which I've been listening to since November 1st, so we got a good start on it. And on top of all of that, I have to do a ton of work here at the church to get us ready for, insert shameless plug here, Christmas at the Ridge, December 19th, 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. And so the thing about it is, one of my favorite things about this time of year is how much stuff there is to do. I mean, it always feels like there's like a family event or a Christmas party or something to do. Uh, I love getting to smile with my friends and with my family. But the reality is, along with all of that, comes a lot of busyness and a lot of stress and a lot of things to do. And I don't want to alarm you guys, but whether or not you realize it, you're all probably in that same boat too. I mean, it's December 1st, so naturally we're going to sit down and start looking at our calendars and slowly but surely things are going to start filling up really quickly. The thing about it is, for some of us, Christmas is a happy time of year, right? For some of us, we love the Christmas season, but for others of us, it feels like just another thing that we have to do. And for some people, Christmas is their favorite day of the year. I think growing up, I probably would have said that was the case for me. But for some people, Christmas is another day of remembering the stress, the unhappiness, and the heaviness that life brings. You see, just in the past couple weeks, I've known of multiple people that have lost loved ones or are going through extremely hard situations. And so the reality is, when all of that is piling up and we have Christmas parties and everything going on, 
the question we ask ourselves is, what's really in this for me? Because it seems like Christmas is a lot about giving to other people and doing for other people, and that's great, but what about me? And so when I started thinking about what would I say when we talk about Christmas, what's in it for me? What what are the things that I would say Christmas has in store for me? I would say things like this. I would say awesome office Christmas parties. Thank you, Matt, for being the best boss ever and doing a good job with that. I'd say awkward interactions with extended family, um, but not all of my family because most of them are pretty cool. I'd say super high credit card bills, except for the fact that my wife is an accountant and she won't let me spend any money. Uh, And of course, uh, this is the big debate in our house right now, whether you use a real tree or a fake tree. And for me, it's a fake tree, which means there's gonna be pine needles all over the floor. And to be honest with you guys, like none of that particularly sounds interesting to me. Like none of that sounds like stuff that I really want to do. Like the Christmas parties are great, but they kind of get old after the first few. The awkward interactions with family can be interesting, but they can also be really stressful. The credit card bills, let's not even talk about that yet. We'll talk about it in January. And the pine needles, there is not a vacuum in the world that can clean those up very well. And so when I started thinking about it, I'm like, what do we really want from Christmas? Like you and I, all of us, what are we looking for this Christmas season? And I think it's things like joy or happiness or love or peace. See, the reality is these are the things that we want, but they're oftentimes not the things that we get. Um, I've, I've been feeling really stressed out already this Christmas season. Uh, we've been planning a ton of stuff for Christmas at the Ridge, and I have no doubt it's going to be really amazing for all of you guys and your friends and your family. But to be totally honest, it's been really stressful. And I think my feeling, like the, the feelings that I've had recently, have been kind of conveyed well in one of my favorite movies of all time. And I'm not just talking about my favorite Christmas movies. I'm talking about one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. And the movie is How the Grinch Stole Christmas, or whatever the official title is now. Um, And I really love it, and uh, I like the animated one, but is there anybody in here who agrees with me that the live action with Jim Carrey really is just better? Anybody? Yes, it's just better, and I think it's Jim Carrey. I don't know movie references, but he has that mask on. He looks great, Um, and the reason I think it's better is because it really does convey the story of the Grinch. Like, we need the backstory, and the animated version just doesn't do that for me, Uh, but the live-action one does, and there's this one scene that I always remember, and honestly, I feel like I resonate with really, really well, and I have a picture of it, so Skip, you can go and put that up there. It's maybe a little dark, but you might be able to see it. Uh, This is the character named Cindy Lou who is kind of the little girl who is really nice to the Grinch and then his heart gets bigger and then, I don't know, happy ending or something. Anyway, um, and this scene in particular is one that I remember. And in this scene, Cindy Lou, who's walking around with all these boxes that she's carrying for her dad, and her dad walks over to her and he pulls one of the boxes out and she kind of peeks through like real cute like, and she says, is all of this really necessary? And I have to be honest with you guys, when I start thinking about Christmas and the parties and the credit card bills and the shopping and Black Friday and the cookies and the movies and the music, I have to ask myself, is all this really necessary? And then Cindy Lou Who goes on, I love how I refer to her like she's a real person. (laughs) Uh, Cindy Lou Who goes on to sing the song, Where Are You Christmas? Why Can't I Find You? And I think some of us right now on December 1st are probably feeling that same thing. We're asking ourselves, the same question. Christmas, where are you? Because the the reality is that we have like all this great stuff to look forward to, but like I said, for a lot of us, this is really kind of a painful season of life. So we've been wrapped up in all the things that Christmas is supposed to be, all the traditions 
that we oftentimes miss out on what we really want out of Christmas. Joy, laughter, happiness, wonder. And it leaves us to ask the question, what's really in it for me? And so today, uh, I have just a little bit of time that I wanna share uh, some stuff with you guys about how I feel like we can really get back to a place of remembering what Christmas is all about. And so um, if we want to know the truth about this, what's actually true, what's actually in it, uh, in Christmas for us, I think we need to go back to the truth, right? Um, which is the Bible. And so today I'm going to give you guys a very abbreviated rundown of the events leading up to the first Christmas when Jesus was born. And I think for some of you, it might blow your mind. So um, today, if you will, if you have a physical Bible, go ahead and pull that out. And where I want you to turn is to Matthew chapter one, okay? Um, and we're not actually going to be reading from there, but I just wanna do this for the sake of an illustration. So we're gonna go to Matthew chapter one. And the cool thing about this first place that we're turning is it's actually a lot more about what is not in the Bible than what is. So if you uh, get to Matthew chapter one in your Bible, it probably has a title heading or something along the lines that says, the new Testament. And for you guys that have been in church for a while, you probably know this. For you guys that are new to church or new to the Christian faith, you might not know this. The Old Testament and the New Testament are the two major chunks of the Bible. In the back of the Bible is the New Testament. In the front of the Bible is the Old Testament. And basically, the way that we oftentimes break this down is by saying simply this. The Old Testament is the story of life before Jesus came to earth. And then the New Testament is the stories of Jesus' life and then the early church. And so when we go to Matthew chapter one, right, we're in the beginning of the New Testament. But if we flip back a page, you're probably in the end of the Old Testament. But the crazy thing about it is, and this kind of blew my mind the first time I realized it, is that because we look at the Bible in this way of the Old Testament and the New Testament being put together, we oftentimes think that it is one continuous historical story, right? We oftentimes think of it as chronologically, uh, that everything just kind of falls into place. But the reality is that in between the Old Testament and the New Testament is about 400 years of undocumented time. Now, in our Bibles, we don't have some of the other books. In the Catholic Bibles, they do have the Apocrypha, which kind of fills in some of the gaps. But for us, when we flip from that last page of Malachi into that first page of Matthew, we jump 400 years. And see, that's the thing about it is sometimes we read the Bible in this like this piece by piece chronological order and we think everything just fits together. But the reality is, it doesn't. There's this big 400-year period of silence. And so what this is called when scholars talk about it is the intertestamental period. It's a big word. Basically, all it means is it's the time between the two testaments. And so I think for us, as we're moving into the Christmas season, the place I want to take us is into that inter intertestamental time to see what's going on, to see what the Israelites were facing before Jesus showed up. So here's the brief account um, of what happened during those 400-ish years. So after the book of Malachi, um, at the end of Malachi on that last verse, you can insert 400 years. And here's what happened. 
In 430 BC, this part is not in the Bible, the Jewish people returned to Israel from Babylonian captivity. Okay, The Jewish people had constantly been enslaved in other countries. This is a moment where they return and they have relative peace. They were treated pretty fairly. Um, they were able to kind of follow their faith. They were able to practice their faith. Um, so at this time, things were actually going pretty well. But despite not being persecuted and not having other governments ruling over them, the Israelites still managed to find their way out of what we would consider orthodoxy, and they started to follow other gods. They started to introduce other traditions, and it really kind of cluttered up their faith in a way that was really unhealthy. In 333 BC, so about 100 years later, Israel fell to the Greeks, and then 10 years after that, in 323, it fell to the Egyptians. And once again, these time periods weren't that bad for the Israelites. Like in, uh, in perspective, or relatively speaking rather, um, these weren't that bad for them. They were still able to kind of have their faith. They were still able to practice all those things. And life wasn't that hard. But in 204 BC, stuff got real. And this is the moment in history where things went really, really bad for Israel. And what happens in 204 BC is Syria takes over Israel. Right? And so throughout this whole next period of time, uh, there are ongoing battles between the Syrians and the Israelites. The Syrians go in and desecrate the temple, which essentially means they made it un, uh, unholy, unpure. Uh, the Jewish people would go back in and cleanse it. But basically what's happening during this entire time is the Israelites and the Syrians are fighting, and it was absolute chaos. But see, the thing about it is the Israelites throughout that period of time did fight to keep some of their faith they tried to re-cleanse the temple and fix things, but it just wasn't working out very well. And so in 63 BC, Israel fell to uh, the nation that was going to have it when Jesus shows up, and that was Rome, or the Romans, okay? So that kind of puts us into perspective of where we're at. Um, the Israelites had faced so many challenges. And the thing about it is, in 2019, that's something that you and I can relate with. We've faced so many challenges. There's people in here who every day you wake up and you're like, what is the next battle that I'm going to have to face? And for the Israelites, that was kind of the story of their life. And so in 43, Caesar installs Anaper over uh, Israel. They split it into Judea and Galilee. He puts his sons in charge. And one of those sons that's put in charge is named King Herod. And that leads us into the New Testament. So what we just did in the course of about five minutes is explained about 400 years of history that we wouldn't have had if we were just looking into the Bible. And so the New Testament begins in a time in which the Jewish people honestly were kind of fighting for their lives, but they were also just really weary and tired. And under the Romans, things weren't as bad as under the Syrians, but life was still really difficult, and their faith had gotten so jumbled over the years that they were left looking for God, not knowing where he was, and kind of saying, what comes next? And so with that being said, during that entire time that Israel was fighting for their existence, fighting for their nation, fighting for their government, fighting for their land, and fighting for their faith, there was something looming over them. And what that was, was the words of the prophets. And a lot of you guys have probably heard of some of the things the prophet said, but primarily what the prophet spoke to the Israelites, uh, to the Jewish people, was of this uh, Messiah who was going to come and bring them out of their slavery. And for the Israelites, that was something that really made sense. I mean, if you look at the history of Israel, it was literally just continuous slavery and persecution and pain and trial. And the prophets come by and they say, hey, 
that's going to get fixed. There's this guy coming. Uh, he's the Messiah, and he's going to bring everything back to the way it should be. And so, like I said, the primary focus of these prophecies was the Messiah. And ultimately, we believe in the Christian faith that the Messiah came, and we named him Jesus. And so that kind of leads us to a place of uh, saying, well, what happened, right? Like what happened during those 400 years? And I think what was happening during those 400 years was a lot of time of questioning. I think there was a lot of time of wonder. I mean, 400 years is a long time to wait for something. And honestly, the prophets didn't give a super clear cut definition of what the Messiah would be like. And I think there were questions like this. They were wondering what the Messiah would be like. They were wondering when the Messiah would come to them. They probably were wondering why the Messiah hadn't come yet, and they were wondering what the first thing the Messiah would do with all of his power. And so the thing is, for some people, this wonder, this mystery, is the thing that kept them going, right? That thought of a better life, of a time when Israel would be restored, that was exciting to them, and that kept them going on through those 400 years, and it helped them keep their faith, but for other people, that wonder and that mystery really kind of destroyed their faith. And what ends up happening is a lot of those people ended up kind of introducing other parts of other cultures to their faith, and they landed with something that was really, really watered down. And suddenly, as I was reading through all of this history of the Israelites and thinking about the, the pain and the tension that was there, I started to realize that really that story 2,000 ish years ago is kind of the story of all of us. Because when you think about it, we have all felt pain, we have all felt weary, we have all felt frustrated and tired, and we've wondered if things will ever get the same. You know, I don't know about you guys, but for me, it feels like every day the world becomes a more broken and more hostile place, not just to Christians, but to everyone. We're getting more divided as time goes along, and it really makes me uh, think that there's a lot of us who've become reserved to this idea of saying maybe this is just how the world is. You see, the same reason that the Israelites lost their faith, I think, is the reason that we lose our faith. It's because we've lost a sense of wonder. We've lost a picture of God and his bigness and the things that he can do and the ways that he can change the world. And I think that leads us into a place where we're at the beginning of December and we say, Christmas, what's in it for me? Because suddenly this holiday has become all about trees and presents and cookies and not about a God who loves us and cares about us. And so what can be difficult in 2019 is figuring out how we can intentionally work to cultivate some of that wonder back into our lives, some of that mystery, some of that hope of what God can do. And so for our last little bit today, I'm gonna kind of give you guys three main application points that I think will really help us all out as we're trying to discover wonder in this Christmas season. So um, basically what I want to explain first is this. I think that these three main points apply to everybody, okay? I think it applies to the person who's been a Christian for a day, a year, or a lifetime. But I also think that these three points apply to people who have maybe never looked for God before at all. And they're like, I don't know what's wrong in my life, but I want it to change. I think this applies to everyone. So uh, as we all kind of hone in on these three points, I want you to think about what does this look like for you. River Ridge is all about taking your next step. And so what's right for one person might not be right for another. But what we're trying to achieve this Christmas is to experience some wonder and some hope and some joy 
again. And so the first of our major points this morning is this, uh, that if we want to experience wonder this Christmas season, we need to look for God. I know, uh, as you guys are writing, I know this point may seem a little bit odd. Maybe kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, God is kind of invisible, kind of there, kind of not there. Like, is this some mystical stuff? I know this is kind of a weird thing to say, but as I was looking back at the intertestamental period, I realized that one of the primary things uh, that the people who kept their faith did was they were constantly looking for God. You see, there was two types of people, people who had hope and people who lost hope, people who had wonder and people who lost wonder. And I think if I were to take a poll right now, and we were to be honest with ourselves, many of us would say we kind of land in that boat of we have lost wonder. We have lost a sense of saying, what could God do in our world? It feels like everything is just always so difficult. So a verse that I think does a really great job of communicating the type of attitude that we should have during a time of trial is written by King David in the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalms sorry. And it says this in uh, Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14. And keep in mind, uh, David is a guy who has lived through some major trials, some of it because of just how bad the world was at that time and other parts because of his own actions, okay? So we're kind of putting that uh, on David a little bit, but here's what he says in Psalm 27, 13, and 14. He says, I'm certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. So wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart be courageous. And then he says one more time, wait on the Lord. And as I was reading through this, I was thinking about the things going through David's head. David was a king, which meant that all the time people were plotting to kill him. They were trying to take his nation. They were trying to ruin his life, okay? And some of us can feel that, right? We can say that feels like my life to some extent, maybe not the whole like plotting to take your nation and burn down your castle type deal, but uh, some of the other things we can understand. And so as I started thinking about it, what was the thing that made life okay for David? right? What was the thing that he held on to? What was the thing that made life okay for the Jewish people during the 400 years of the intertestamental period? I think it was that they were waiting on the Lord, or they were looking for the Lord. You see, in the same way that David waited and Israel waited, I think that you and I need to cultivate in ourselves an ability to wait on the Lord, to look to God and say, I know he's going to show up here somewhere, and I'm just ready to see it. You know, the thing about it is, guys, I think that if we remain hopeful and if we're constantly on the lookout for God, he will show up in our lives. We will see his hand in the things that are happening, and that'll start to help us cultivate wonder about what happens when he shows up again and again and again. I love that song that we just sang, Bigger Than I Thought. I think some of us have really, really small views of God and of his power, Uh, but the thing about it is God is way bigger than all of us could ever Imagine. So we need to keep looking for God. The next main application point that I have that I want to highlight today is this, that while we're looking for God, we need to also listen for God, okay? We need to listen for God or listen to God, sorry, rather. Um, Many times in the church context, I've heard people say things like, oh, God spoke to me, God told me this, God told me that. And while I don't want to demystify that, and I don't want to say that's not a valid thing because we definitely have examples throughout the Bible of God speaking audibly, I do want to stand up here as somebody who's on church staff uh, and feels pretty connected to God most times. And I want to say this, I don't know that I've ever heard God speak to me in that way. 
And I know that for some of you guys, that just immediately rang a bell in your head and you're like, you know what? I don't think I've ever felt that either. And so what I wanna kind of bring up this time is this, that one, like it could be super frustrating when we feel like God isn't talking, but I'm here to tell you he is. He is talking to us. And one of the primary ways that we think God speaks to us is through the scriptures. You see, during the intertestamental period, the period that we talked about earlier, that time is also known as the 400 years of silence. See, the, Israel, the Israelites and the Jewish people were really acclimated with the voice of God. He had spoken to them. He had led them. He had provided for them. And during this 400 years, the reason we think that not much is recorded is because they felt like God checked out. And some of you guys on December 1st, heading into the Christmas season, feel like God has checked out. There's so many things going on in your life and you look at it and you're like, God has stopped talking to me. He is not there for me. And I no longer think that God is good. So how did they listen to God in those moments, right? How did they listen to God when they felt like God wasn't speaking? Well, they held on to the words of the prophets, right? The words that are now recorded in scripture for us that all of us have access to. And one of those verses that I think they were holding on to was the words of Malachi. And in Malachi chapter four, verse two, it says this, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and you'll playfully jump like calves loosed from a stall or let from a stall, sorry. Um, Guys, I think this is really cool and this is really promising because what the people during the intertestamental period did is they looked to the words of the prophets, but for you and I, we have the completion of the story. See, they were hanging on to promises that they didn't know were actually gonna happen or not, but for you and I, we have the New Testament. And what that means is that when we look at the New Testament and we see the Messiah arrive and we see him start to fix things and we see him start to change lives, we can look at the rest of scripture and we can say that is reliable. And so if you don't feel like God speaks to you, I promise he does. And oftentimes the way he does that is through the scripture. And so today, kind of a big application point that I wanna bring up is this, that for you guys, we wanted to provide you a way of starting to read scripture. If you've never done that before, if you've never opened a Bible or looked up a Bible app or anything like that, we wanted to give you a way of doing that. And so we created for you guys, for everybody in here, an Advent devotional. Uh, On the front, it has a cute little Advent calendar. And on the back, it has a short daily reading for every day of this month leading up to Christmas. And I think the thing about it is, if we start to look for God and we start to listen to God through his word, we will start to see that God really is good and it'll start to provoke some more of that wonder in us. And my final point uh, as we close down, because I'm starting to run out of time, is this. We wanna look for God, we wanna listen to God, and the final one is we want to respond to God. You see, the final way we can rediscover wonder this Christmas season is by responding to God, responding to seeing him in our world and responding to hearing his voice through scripture. And I think there's a couple ways we can do that. One is just to be thankful because to be totally honest, and we all know this is true, in 2019, we are really, really ungrateful people right? We have so much given to us. We have like these great houses. We have cars, we have food, we have clothing, we have water. And still, we still have to have a holiday where we celebrate the Thanksgiving, right? Like I was amazed when I started thinking about that. I'm like, shouldn't we be doing that every single day of the year? But in 2019, we're so ungrateful. So one way we respond to God is just with thankfulness and saying, hey God, thanks for providing today. 
And yeah, there's gonna be hard times and there's gonna be times where it feels like he's not providing, but I promise he still is. And then the other way we can respond is willingness to join him on spreading his love and this joy and this wonder to the world. You know, when I think about it, sometimes I think about Christians as super pessimistic people. And I wonder why are we like that when we have a picture of what God has done in the past and we know what God can do in the future, why are we so pessimistic? You know, one way I think we can respond to the truths that we encounter in scripture is by sharing them with the people we love. Because when we look at scripture, it fills us up and it encourages us. And I think we need to share that with other people. And one of our big verses that we've been going back to over and over and over and over again uh, is 1 Thessalonians 2.8. And it says this, For we loved you so much, we were willing to share not only the gospel, but our lives as well. And I think when we catch a vision of that wonder of what God can do in our world and through us, and we share that with other people, then we're going to start to experience a Christmas like no other. And one of the ways that we want to set you up to do that is with our Christmas at the Ridge services. Once again, this might be a shameless plug, but what we're trying to accomplish at Christmas at the Ridge is to introduce your friends and family to a Jesus, to a God who cares about them and loves them infinitely more than you could ever or they could ever imagine. So make sure to invite your friends and your family to that because that is one way of responding to the love that God has shown us. It's by showing other people that love as well. And so in conclusion today, no matter what your December looks like, whether it's Christmas parties or Hallmark movies or hot cocoa or cookies uh, or family dinners or whatever it is, make sure that your Christmas traditions don't become your Christmas idols. And see, the way that I kind of differentiate between those two things is a tradition will lead us closer to God, will give us more wonder and more joy, and an idol will cause us to feel busy and stressed out and tired. You see, that's not the life that God has for us. In John 10, 10, he says he has life to the full for you and I. So this Christmas, look for wonder, right? Maintain optimism. Be a little bit more optimistic about what God's gonna do. Look for him, and I guarantee he's gonna show up, and that's gonna jumpstart you into a great new year. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, thanks for today. And thanks that you've given us a reason to be hopeful. You've given us a reason to have wonder. You've shown us that you'll provide. You've shown us that you'll love us. God, you're so good. So help us to remember that this Christmas season. God, help uh, all the traditions to help build you up in our minds, not take you down. And God, help us to remember how good you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen.